0: Faithwire.com. The narrative on COVID is taking a dramatic shift ahead of the 2022 midterms. Today is Thursday, December 30th, 2021. I'm Dan Andros. We'll have that top story and more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faithwire. Four big stories, three things you need to know about them, all from a Christian perspective. That's what we do here. You can find us on iTunes. Go ahead and give us a subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We're here Uh, all throughout the week and joining me today is trey Goins phillips from faithwire.com we've got billy is out today and (laughs) now he's the one on vacation we were joking that you were in the winter wonderland uh for for a while there and now now you're back now billy's out doing whatever he's doing here ahead of the new year and uh you and i are left here to sift through the news
1: well after the weekend we can stop being like playing musical chairs with who's who's on and who's not on we'll all be back and you'll have to suffer through the podcast with all three of us yes we'll hit the new year (laughs) running full steam um so because we can't go any episode without talking about covid of course i'm (laughs) going to talk about franklin graham and he has some opinions on vaccine microchips and whether they're the mark (laughs) of the beast so we'll get into that
0: it's got a lot of people riled up we're also going to hit um this great story from a north carolina prison where uh, people are saying that God's fingerprints are all over it. As m- dozens of inmates are earning their pastoral ministry degrees, really cool stories. So we'll have the details on that as well.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to hear about that one. Uh, but then, too, this one is just a, a funny story. And I know we're we're post Christmas now, but <laughs> I just had to talk about it. So, a school in in upstate New York, they've canceled. Jingle bells oh over its quote unquote questionable past. Oh. So, we'll get into the details and whether there is really anything to be upset about.
0: It's a, it's, a, isn't it a song about just jingling some bells? I mean, what in the world? I mean, I guess, I guess everyone's offended by everything just you these wait. Days. Just, just you, you wait. I down. will, I will be standing <laughs> by to see what, what in the world is going on there. But all right, but let's start here with story number one and how politics could be playing a role here in how politicians are reacting to this latest Omicron surge here with COVID. Here's three things you need to know, starting with the details. This is sort of the narrative. Let's just give you a little bit of picture here. What's going on. You're seeing headlines like this across the media today. This one from CNN, the Biden administration signals pandemic strategy shift in the face of Omicron, which just sidebar, your honor. I love that they're just (laughs) calling it a strategy shift. Do you think that um, perhaps a Trump administration would get such a such a generous headline as to just, you know, call it just a a benign headline of a it's just a strategy shift, no flip flopping, no just total reversals, nothing like that. No negative. It's just a strategy shift. Nothing to see here. But that's happening as cases are skyrocketing. If you check the CDC website that just tracks the number of cases that we're getting, you just see the you see the level just skyrocketing and it's probably at levels uh, that we haven't seen since the beginning. And uh, actually, you know what? I'll look it up right now while we're on and see if it's higher than any level uh, in the past. And yeah, it looks like it. I mean, it's it's right at the peak or just a little bit higher than, than it was in the highest point, which was in January of uh, 2021 there at the end of the holidays when we had a surge last year as well. But Uh, There's a big but that goes along with this (laughs) huge spike that we've got going on. Most of the cases are mild. As you're seeing, if you see the corresponding chart along with it of hospitalizations and deaths, it's either flatlining or going down. So um, you're you're not seeing the same level of severity with this latest variant. And so uh, there is a study that found here in the early going that people with Omicron infections have had... 80% 80% lower odds of being admitted to the hospital compared with Delta infections. And so this study came out of Scotland and they had data on about 23,800 Omicron cases and 126,000 Delta cases. That was between November 1st and December 19th. And the researchers, this was from the uh, Ed- University of Edinburgh, and they uh, they took a close look at the outcomes and there were 15 hospital admissions among those with Omicron infections, 15 out of those 23,800 wow. compared to 856 hospital admissions on Delta. And that was obviously a little bit higher, 856 out of 126,000. But um, clearly, you can see there that despite the skyrocketing case numbers that these, you know, cases are overwhelmingly mild. And so that that is a good thing. I mean... It's almost, I mean, you know, when when they are severe, though, they are still severe. There's not once that once you get to the point where it's hitting you, it's they're saying it's not much different and you're still going to struggle with it. So that's obviously not good. But but it is a net positive, I think, to see that level of spike. And most of it is just kind of, you know, mild and you're going to be fine with it. It's it's like that could be a blessing in disguise. So so number two on this, though, Trey, I mean, let's enter the politics now. I mean, (laughs) Here's, here's how CNN described it in that same article, the headline I read earlier. They said, But with the public desperate for deliverance from a crisis that has pounded the nation's psyche for parts of three winters, it is looking like economic and societal factors rather than just epidemiology are important in shaping the U.S. response to the virus. That is what many people have been saying <sighs> since the beginning. You weigh all the factors, but the Biden administration, if, we all remember in his early going there at the beginning of this year, they chose more of the fear mongering route, the divisive route. They were vilifying anybody who didn't get vaccinated. They kind of gave up on this whole unity thing. We're like, hey, stop killing people. And uh, it got <laughs> it got pretty nasty with with some of the language coming from Biden himself, even uh, just sort of vilifying those. And um, and also to anybody who was arguing against mandates or restrictions, you got a lot of pushback there from government officials in the Biden administration, the media, you know, kind of saying, well, forget you and your freedoms. You know, this is a pandemic and we've got to do what we've got to do. And you saw that sort of response now. But what's different this time around? And it's 2022 in just a day or so here. And the midterms are fast approaching. And this is what CDC director Robin Walensky said after they announced because they also shortened the isolation period from 10 days to five days. And um, and so here's it's interesting the rationale she gave. Take, take a listen to this. Uh, this was an, uh, an interview from this week. Listen up.
1: Well, so then I guess the question, if this is based on science that you already had at the CDC, why didn't you make this change sooner than this week? Well, so our guidance was conservative before. It has said 10 days of isolation. But in the context of the fact that we were going to have so many more cases, many of those would be asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. People would feel well enough to be at work. They would not necessarily tolerate being home and that they may not comply with being home. It would, this was the moment that we needed to make that decision and those changes.
0: So that is uh, that is an interesting response, saying that they, basically people wouldn't tolerate it. like. That's not very, that doesn't sound like following the science to me. I mean, this was, we, we heard so much science, 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 science. And now it's, well, I don't know what people will be able to tolerate. So a very, very interesting shift in focus there. And, and uh, in fairness, that was a longer interview and, and Walensky did, you know, give some reasoning as to why, like, you know, about when they're seeing the most transmissions take place. Um, But they had it at 10 days for so long and then they shifted it and then, to have her admit that a big part of that was because of what people will tolerate is uh, an interesting admission because that really shouldn't have any bearing at all on a CDC decision they they should really just be going based on you know cuz they're always just making recommendations i don't know when it changed to where whatever the cdc says cdc says we have to do it's always been a recommendation and so you would think that they would just give the best scientific recommendation and then let people Choose what to do with it from there, um, but why number three? Why does this all matter, Trey? I mean, this people are having a hard enough time trusting the CDC, and I, I don't think this particular thing is going to help. And you know, we're at a fork in the road on whether whether we kind of go full more of the authoritarian sort of vibe like Australia and New Zealand and places like that are doing, or if we revert back towards a more freedom based approach where we put the recommendations out and sort of let people make their own decisions. And even Biden said that, well, there's no federal solution for this. And so, uh, you know, you're hearing that rhetoric shift. And while it's a frustrating sort of, you know, shift where they kind of just flip flop completely on what they've been saying the whole time in what certainly appears to be a a move ahead, well ahead of the midterm so that there's, you know, not this backlash against them for continuing this pandemic you know, the, these restrictions and things of that nature. So it'll be interesting to see it play out. Why does it matter? Because I, like I said, I think it's a fork in the road and we're going to, yeah. as we go forward, either all of these restrictions and stuff are going to be put down the memory hole and those who push them are going to pretend it didn't happen. Or, um, you know, we're going to just, you know, they're going to keep going that way, which it doesn't seem like they're going to do.
1: I think the maddening thing about all of this is that we all know that politicians are going to do what They're going to do. Yeah. They're going to flip flop on stuff all the time. They're going to say that they said stuff that everybody knows they said. Uh, the frustrating thing is that the media, which is supposed to hold them accountable, yeah, really just serves as like a PR arm, right, uh, for the for the White House as long as it's a Democrat who's sitting behind the resolute desk, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think the the really really annoying thing to me is. Uh, If you remember, like back when Trump was in office, everybody was claiming that he was this awful, un-American, totalitarian, authoritarian. (laughs) I was talking to Billy about this on the podcast the other day, Uh, and then everybody got angry at the media then, so they made that allegation for years, and then they get angry at him because he was not more authoritarian (laughs) as president in responding to covid And then Biden comes into office and the media is so excited because he's going to be authoritarian. He's finally going to do all of these wonderful federal top-down things to to get rid of COVID. And he ends up now at this point, he's not doing them. And now we're seeing the shift like, well, Biden is learning. He's learning. He's just following the science. Uh, He's being compassionate. He's understanding that this is more complex than just COVID.
0: It's a strategic shift, right? It's just strategy.
1: Can the media just pick an angle, like either be really for the authoritarian thing and go full bore on it <laughs> yeah. or be against it, but instead they flip-flop on it, like Trump isn't an authoritarian and that's awful. Trump needs to be more authoritarian. Yay, Biden's going to be authoritarian now. He's not being authoritarian, yeah. and that's wonderful. Yeah. So it's like I, you, you never know <laughs> what you're going to get from the media uh, with this stuff. But one thing you talked about earlier on I think is good news that we should – talk more about is the fact that Omicron is for the most part, obviously they're gonna be outliers, but is for the most part really mild for people, yeah. um, particularly people who are vaccinated. I've known of people who are vaccinated and got, you know, COVID recently and they're assuming it's this latest variant. And the worst thing they got is they felt like they had allergies. Yeah. Um, so that's really good news. And there's a study out of South Africa where this was first discovered that just came out a couple days ago that said if you get the Omicron variant you're very protected against uh like delta or like a more stringent mm. version of this which is you know, obviously yeah. it's just one study but that's potentially really good news
0: i know i know i, I mean it makes you uh it, like i said before it's, it's it could be a blessing in disguise that yeah. hey like let's if you know you obviously you don't want that you can't really cheer it on because there's always going to be that outlier like the small percentage that is a real number of the people that still get severely sick from it and that's that's scary but at the same time if we can get this thing to go through and a lot of people pass it along and nothing happens to them but then that builds up our immunity to it and perhaps gets us on the road to ending this thing you know that's a that's a net positive then if if it does indeed you know go that way
1: yeah, and I think that's the thing that we have to come to accept is that this isn't just going to go like poof, go away all no. of a sudden. We're going to have to just learn to live with it and build up herd immunity and and protect ourselves however we choose to do so, uh, and just kind of move on because yeah. we can't continue to just focus on this no. one thing. Well, uh, was, we're going I, on what two years now? Yeah. I, I can't. I don't I, know how people are going in still just as terrified in 2022 as either. they were in May of
0: 2020. I will. I will. Pontificate here for just a second, Trey, on that—that that it won't just poof go away. It will if the media <laughs> decides, and the and the, that's true. That the and the Biden administration and the left, you know, kind of decide like, well, we need to sort of show that we've crushed this thing. Then it might poof disappear. You might that's see. True. You might see a a shift in narrative, I would suppose. So anyway, that's just my best guess. Just we'll leave it. Maybe there. that's.
1: Maybe that's the October surprise coming (laughs) this year. Poof, it's gone.
0: Poof, it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right,
1: story number two. Franklin Graham uh, was talking or took to his Facebook account uh, to write about uh, vaccine microchips uh, (laughs) and whether or not they're the mark of the beast. Uh, So we'll uh, talk a little bit about that, but we'll start number one with the details. So according to CBN News, a great deal of Swedish people, this is a report that came out a few days ago, have opted to have microchips the size of. A grain of rice implanted under their skin right in their hand and those those chips contained identifying information <laughs> vaccination data for those who receive what could go
0: wrong what could go wrong
1: <laughs> the implants yeah and that's been the criticism is what kind of other information could potentially be stored in there uh, and you know obviously the answer to that is th- it's like infinity it could be <laughs> right. absolutely anything could be stored in there um So this comes as the Swedish government implemented new rules December 1st, requiring people to have a vaccine passport of some kind. They didn't require it to be the microchip, but you had to have some sort of card or, you know, whatever to show that you're vaccinated uh, to get into any event or any venue that has or could have 100 or more people in it. Uh, I think, you know, so uh, like applies to restaurants and to concert venues, shopping centers, all that kind of stuff. Um, so they're, they're pretty restrictive there. And a lot of people in Sweden have just opted to have the microchip and they'll just, you know, then that, that can say, Oh, I've got it. So they don't have to show any card or anything around. But like you said, Dan, what could go wrong? I, it <laughs> doesn't necessarily seem like the wisest decision. Uh, but anyway, we'll move on to, to number two, which is what Franklin Graham, said. Uh, So he said he personally does not think that the ship is the mark of the beast, but he said it does make you think how close we may be to the mark of the beast. He wrote Christians around the world are wondering if COVID-19 is being used as a way to condition the world population to accept a mark like this, whatever form it may take. If a scannable chip under the skin can contain vaccine information, adding other personal information and financial data could be just a short step away. He said, this may sound frightening, but people who have put their faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, don't need to be afraid. We should not live in fear. God told us what was coming in his word. Make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life by repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's an interesting perspective for him to have, because if you remember, Dan, earlier on when this was when the vaccines first like started coming available, he was very pro-vaccine and saying if you have people to get the vaccination, he said that if... If this pandemic happened during Jesus's earthly ministry, he would be advocating people to get vaccinated, which is a comment that he took quite a bit of backlash for. Uh, But nevertheless, he's encouraged people to get vaccinated and has praised it as as a miraculous accomplishment and and God's blessing on our lives. Um, So that's been his perspective on it. But number uh, another piece of of number two here, point number two here uh, that I want to point out is. Mary Lee from the RAND Corporation, she warned about the problems, potential problems with these kind of microchips like you were talking about or alluding to a minute ago, Dan. Mm. Uh, She said it kind of creates an ecosystem. He said it's a bunch of devices that are connected to the internet that contain software uh, and that either collect personal health data about you or can alter the body's function. We think of this internet bodies as a collection of all these devices uh, as well as all of the data. So her comment was like, "It, it does connect and there's some, convenience that comes with that, but there's a risk of it invading your privacy because what kind of information can be pulled out of of that? How can these microchips potentially be used to track people, uh, to see where they are, what they're doing, what they're buying, what they're eating, all all kinds of stuff. So there are a lot of concerns uh, there. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how this advances, but it's doing well in Sweden. Yeah. uh, As as far... Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, as far as why it matters, I think, you know, obviously as Christians, we need to, like, like uh, Franklin Graham said, be aware of what scripture says, but also be wary of of all this kind of stuff because, you you know, be skeptical. I think that's been the biggest thing that's amazed me as mm-hmm. other Christians. And I'm not saying that this stuff is the mark of the beast, you know, anything like that, but that there's no skepticism of, of our, our government officials, of our health officials, of what the media is saying. I think as believers, we just need to, to one – not live in fear and to take everything with a grain of salt and say, okay, let me put this in proper context Uh, because it seems like a wild decision for people just like with a snap of anger, say, Oh yeah, put that chip inside of my hand.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no discernment whatsoever. I, I mean, there's so many things that it, it's a barrier. Like you, it's one of those like lines you don't want to cross. And yeah, because now even if it's just a benign, Oh, it's for your safety or we, You know, we can make it convenient for you or whatever. You know, I mean, eventually what's to stop them from, you know, you think of a few iterations of this down the road and what's to stop them from doing a chip that has a, has say a, a medication in there or a vaccine or something else. And then they could just release it on the public at any time if everyone's, and then, Hey, well, gosh, you're endangering the public. So we need to mandate that everyone has, I mean, the logic, if you follow it, can lead you down to some pretty dark places and Billy and I were joking oh when the Sweden story I think you were out and we we'd kind of mentioned just that not yeah. Franklin's comments but um sort of just the idea of this microchip being and then people being in favor and we were just thinking is Sweden just trolling the the Christians around the world now I mean <laughs> is this what they is this kind of their gig they're just like you know what let's just go with this implanted chip I mean it's just going to set them off it'll be great marketing I'm just wondering if they really don't know
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, sometimes it seems like with this COVID stuff, people have just turned to the back of the Bible, opened up Revelation and used it as a blueprint. Like, you know what? (laughs) This is what John described. And it sounds like a fantastic idea. (laughs) Let's do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it is wild to see stuff like that. When you see a headline, it's like, really, you couldn't you couldn't write this (laughs) stuff and, you know, put Kirk Kirk Cameron in a movie starring about it and nobody believe it, you know? And uh, yet here we are. So, but good words from Franklin Graham, though. Definitely always use these things as an opportunity to ponder where we are at in in the grand scheme of things. So, all right, let's head on to story number three here and a fantastic story coming out of North Carolina and their Nash Correctional Institution as 24 inmates earned their Bachelor of Arts diploma in pastoral ministry. So this was a group of men. Uh, they were the first class to graduate from the college at Southeastern's North Carolina Field Minister Program and that focuses on supporting and counseling fellow offenders Uh, and so all 24 inmates who were taught inside this Nashville uh, based prison uh, 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 I'm sorry uh, prison uh, based faculty uh, from SBTS they graduated with honors so uh, they're going to be divided now into five teams and then spread out among the state's 55 prisons to minister to other inmates while serving out the the rest of their sentences. So, um, according to uh, Seth Bible, director of prison programs at Southeastern... This can't be a real name. This guy's name, Seth Bible? <laughs> I mean, that's that's quite the name, and he went quite the way. Uh, but it said almost exactly four years... And four months ago today, many of us gathered here in this very gym to usher in the start of this program with our very first convocation service. We had no idea what the future would hold for our first cohort of students, but we were confident uh, in that God would um, hold the future in his hands. And so um, they just talked about how it was their prayer um, for all of all of the inmates that they would be sent as ambassadors for Christ. And Mm. that they would be a beacon of hope for offenders across prison systems who are in need of a mentor to guide them through incarceration. So a very, very cool story here. And one of the graduates, Lucas Rash, said that he was looking forward to being a positive influence, a friend, a mentor, whatever you would like to call it. Um, He's 35. He still has 30 years to serve for a hit and run that killed two people. And he said, I would have considered myself a professed Christian all my adult life, but I didn't live it like it until a few years before entering this program. Um, so really cool program there to see that, you know, we're not forgetting about people that are incarcerated and they're still alive and their souls still matter. So uh, great to see that they can take their life even behind bars and use it for the kingdom.
1: Hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it's easy to, when we think about prison or anybody who's who's done something so wrong that they get that kind of punishment or discipline, you kind of, I think the human side of us, the unredeemed side of us, yeah. thinks that there's no, oh, like there, are, it's a foregone conclusion. God doesn't want anything to do with them. Uh, they can't be. Uh, you know, they're they're not redeemable. They can't be fixed. Uh, but the reality is, is that God works in the lives of, of people, regardless of where they're at. I mean, look at Paul. Yeah. Paul murdered Christians yeah. before he became a Christian and then became uh, perhaps the most prolific Christian that there is as far as his writing, uh, is, is, is responsible for helping lead millions upon millions of people to Christ through what he wrote in Scripture. Uh, so God can redeem and, and, and use and work in the lives of of absolutely anybody and everybody, and it's our responsibility as believers to be that vessel for the Holy Spirit. Right? It's not our job to save somebody, uh, but God uses us. Uh, he, you know, uses us to to, to communicate through the, the love of the Holy Spirit to other people. Uh, so it's really cool to see uh, these kind of stories, and we certainly should be highlighting them and celebrating them because, uh, you know, like I said, God is able to redeem any life, uh, and it's really cool to see people who are in prison. Uh, who are are using their time wisely, right? They're not just yeah. sitting around and being angry. And Because I'm certain that that's an easy thing to do. You're in a really dark place, a difficult situation, a, a, a abysmal situation. So it would be easy to get down and to, to be depressed and to, to feel anxiety and all of that. Uh, but to see some people who are using it for good uh, and are turning to Christ is really awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, 100%.
1: All right. Story number four. So this one, like I said, I know it's after Christmas, but we just had to talk about it because it's just a crazy story. (laughs) Um, So a school in New York, in upstate New York, has canceled Jingle Bells because of its questionable past. (laughs) Uh, So we'll start uh, here, number one, with the details. So an elementary school in upstate New York removed Jingle Bells from its roster of Christmas songs uh, over the tune's supposedly questionable past, like I said. The backlash was swift, though. Uh, Critics called the decision uh, liberalism run amok uh, and cancel culture at its finest. Uh, So here is is what happened. So Matt Tappan, the principal of Council Rock Primary School in Brighton, New York, told the Rochester Beacon, a local news outlet there, that he decided to scrub Jingle Bells from the school's repertoire and instead replace it with a song that doesn't have the potential to be controversial or offensive. Uh, So the principal and other school staffers confirmed to the outlet that the decision was inspired in part by a 2017 article written by Boston University professor Kina Hamill, whose research purportedly showed the iconic Christmas song was first performed publicly during a minstrel show in Boston uh, in the 1800s, and it allegedly uh, included performers who were wearing blackface. Uh, That potential link for Tappan was enough to deem the song altogether problematic. Uh, Here's the interesting thing though. Hamill, the professor who wrote about it back in 2017, Uh, she told the Beacon that she was quite shocked when she learned that the school got rid of jingle bells. Uh, She said that her research uh, in no way recommended that it stopped being sung by children. Uh, She said, my article tried to tell the story of the first performance of the song. I do not connect this popular Christmas tradition of singing the song now to racism or minstrel shows or anything like that. She said the very fact of Jingle Bells' popularity has to do with the very catchy melody of the song and not only, uh, and not to be uh, only understood in terms of its origins in the minstrel tradition. I would say it should very much be sung and enjoyed and perhaps discussed. Uh, so after he- hearing that response, another school staffer, her name is Alison Rio. Uh, she attempted to walk back the suggestion that the decision to cut Jingle Bells was related at all to Hamill's article. Uh, she's the assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction at the school. She tried to claim that the Christmas song has other connections to slavery. And this is just where the story, Dan, goes off the rails for me, uh, because she has no way to, to uh, prove that, that her claims are true. <laughs> At all, but nevertheless, this is what she said. Uh, She said, some suggest that the use of collars on slaves with bells to send an alert that they were running away is connected to the origin of the song Jingle Bells. While we are not taking a stance on whether that's true or not, (laughs) (laughs) we do feel strongly that this line of thinking is not in agreement with our district's beliefs to value all cultures and experiences of our students. And for this reason, along with the idea that there are hundreds of other five note songs, we made the decision not to teach the song directly to all students who on earth has ever thought that jingle bells has anything to do with slavery. I'm pretty certain that if you listen to the song, it has to do with horses wearing jingle bells while they're, you know, carrying a sleigh behind them or pulling a sleigh behind them. Yeah. Or the Um, reindeer.
0: I mean, it's just a reindeer. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, it's like good grief. Imagine, imagine Trey,
1: she's really digging for
0: something there. Imagine having the time on your hands. (laughs) to investigate whether or not i want to know what job this person has that they have the time to research and write about the non really history of bells and jingle bells (laughs) i mean what in the world nothing is sacred nothing is sacred and look if you can take a random thing like that and then it's Not even based on any actual history like you were saying there. It's just hypothetical. And then you are banning stuff on that? Why wouldn't you just ban everything? Just ban everything. I I mean...
1: I want to know where on earth she found the suggestion. Did she just make it up make, and thought like, well, because someone could possibly potentially maybe perhaps think that we should just go ahead and get rid of unbelievable. the song. I mean, with that argument, we, like you said, we need to probably just n- not do anything because uh, anyone to just like yeah. stare at a blank wall and right, sit in the room right. together
0: silently. <laughs> Anybody could come up with any comment that, you know what it might be, we don't have fact on this, but it might be offensive because of X, Y, and Z and you just make it yeah. up. And then they cancel it. I mean, there's, I mean that's just sad. I mean people with no backbone, no spine. Like you said, well, there's no connotation there whatsoever towards slavery. N- zero, none, n- not even close. And yeah, if you're if no. you're thinking that way, you're just completely making stuff up. And it's oh, uh, I mean that's well, the kind of stuff. Hopefully, we get more pushback on because good gosh.
1: To Hamill's credit, the the professor who wrote that article back in 2017, again, she commented on that as well, and she said there is no connection there, and she kind of... uh, pushed back really sarcastically and said, perhaps finding a well-referenced source for this claim might be in order (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because there's no reason to not sing this song. Uh, But this is not surprising according to the local outlet. Uh, They've been covering this school for some time uh, and they said that none of this should be a shock to anybody uh, because for years the school, they said, has been focused on anti-racist, anti-biased initiatives uh, to make teachers, quote, more inclusive and culturally responsive. And this was one example that the outlet uh, included, Dan, they said Mm. uh, that teachers there have been advised to stop using gendered terms Mm. Uh, rather than referring to their kids as boys and girls. They've been apparently told to call students, learners, friends, thinkers, and then my favorite council rock citizens <laughs> um so like there there's an air of like crt type stuff yeah. and like everything is everything is tied to racism has been kind of like the the yeah. culture that this school district has created or the school has created so it's and there's where apparently it not surprising no. and uh
0: no, they're, yeah. now they're calling after jingle bells <laughs> yeah that's where it all leads to the banning of uh, jingle bells so uh, well another <laughs> another wonderful ad for homeschooling and the private schools yeah. in that local area So, all right. Well, that is all the time we have for this episode of the 4 and 3 podcast. As always, head on over to CBNnews.com and Faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. That is all we have for today. We are not here tomorrow. It is New Year's Eve. Everyone celebrate. Have a great and safe and happy New Year. We'll see you back here next week.